Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. But before we study God's Word together, let us pray. Father, we thank You for the privilege of studying Your Word together this morning. We invite the Holy Ghost to be our teacher and guide. We open our hearts, minds, and ears to receive revelation knowledge that will make us free. And Father, I thank You for the anointing upon my lips to speak to Father God Your Word in a powerful way that will touch hearts, it will change lives, and, if, and cause us to rise up in faith and be doers of the Word and not hearers only. And we'll go forth in the power of the Spirit and accomplish that which you purpose and please. And we give you thanks for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 13, you know, we are told that three forces abide forever. Faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. And that's talking about divine love, God's divine love, which is the greatest force in all of the universe. In chapter 14, in verse 1, and I'm reading to you from the Amplified Version, it says, Eagerly pursue and seek to acquire this love and make it your aim, your great quest in life. In other words, God's divine love is to be our highest aim and greatest quest. Every child of God is to be dedicated to living in the realm of divine love and walking in the realm of divine love. God wants us to make that our highest aim because it's the most powerful force in all of the universe. Well, one of the characteristics of this divine love is found, if you'll just back up a little bit to verse, beginning at verse 4, and you can read right on through verses 8, 4 through 8, and you'll discover that it talks about what this love is, how this love acts, and what this love does. <clears throat> Beginning in verse 4, it says, Love endures long and is patient and kind. Love is never envious. It never boils over with jealousy. It's not boastful or vainglorious. It does not display itself haughtily. It's not conceited, arrogant, inflated with pride, ruder and mentally. It does not act unbecomingly. Love, God's love in us does not insist on its own rights or way, for it's not self-seeking. And I want you to talk, just to underline that right there and just keep that thought in mind because that's where I want to, to end as far as reading this is concerned. And I want to begin to expound on the fact that this love is not self-seeking. Love is not self-seeking. God's divine love does not seek its own rights or its own ways. It doesn't live, in other words, for itself. Every single one of us has got to make a decision in our lives not to live for self. And the beginning of that decision was when we accepted Jesus Christ as our personal Savior and Lord. What we were saying to Him is, I don't want to live for myself any longer. I would rather live for you. Isn't that what we did? I want you to be the Lord of my life. I want you to direct all the activities of my life. I want you to help me make the most important decisions there are to make in life. And so, in other words, I give of myself to live for you. You are to be in control of my life. Well, he is the one that told us that we, as a commandment, are to live in the realm of divine love. It is to be our highest aim and greatest quest. There's no greater force in all of the universe. There's no greater power in all the universe. As a matter of fact, 
It is so powerful and so potent that the Word says about God's divine love, it never fails. That's an amazing truth. If you want something that will never fail in your life, know this. Living the love life and walking in the realm of divine love will cause us never to fail. It may appear as though there are problems. It may seem as though we're not being successful. But in the end, love will win out. It seemed like Jesus was defeated on Calvary's cross as far as many were concerned. But in the end, love won out. Isn't that true? Love was victorious over death, hell, and the grave. And every single one of us is to look beyond the natural and see love at work, even though in the natural it may not seem as though things are working as they should. And so God wants us to begin to live in this love realm. And I want you to turn with me to Matthew 5, if you would please, and beginning at verse 43, because I said this a few weeks back. Now, I don't know how many of you were here or remember this, but I was teaching along this line before Bruce and Cindy Black came and our healing service came. You remember that? And some of you thought, oh, he forgot about it. But I didn't. I had someone to remind me. The Holy Ghost said, now I want you to go back and I want you to finish this discussion on living in this realm of love, this divine love of God. Because, beloved, it's to be our highest aim and greatest quest in all of life. Now, every single one of us wants to be made perfect in the things of God, don't we? In other words, to be mature in the things of God. How many of you would rather be an immature Christian? I know I wouldn't. What about you? I want to be mature as a Christian. I want to grow in my Christian faith and walk and experience. And I want to be more like Jesus every single day. And you should have that same desire. And so every one of us should want to be made perfect or matured in the things of God. Well, I want to give you a beautiful portion of Scripture that will absolutely cause your flesh to crawl. But your heart to rejoice. If you really want to be like Jesus, if you really want to be more like your Heavenly Father... And if you want to exemplify His life and love here upon this earth, listen to what this says. <clears throat> Matthew 5.43 You have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. What an amazing statement. We are to love these people that hate us, our enemies. We are to practice loving our enemies. Okay, listen. That you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven, for he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love them which love you, what reward have you? Do not even the publicans the same? And if you salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so? Be ye therefore perfect or spiritually matured. Listen. Here is a statement to every individual who wants to be like their Father in heaven and who wants to become a mature Christian. We must practice loving our enemies. I mean, what does that say about loving those who are of the household of faith? I mean, if we are to demonstrate that kind of love to our enemies, can you imagine how we are to demonstrate love to those that are of the household of faith. Are you, now listen carefully. We are to speak well of those that speak evil of us. That's talking about our enemies. How many of you know that your enemy doesn't speak highly of you? 
Not normally, anyhow. As a matter of fact, maybe in your presence they might be somewhat cordial to you, but I guarantee you, when you're gone and your back is turned, they'll hurl out some statements that will cause your hair to stand. Without a doubt. Why? Because that's the way they are. Your enemy will not speak well of you, but when your enemy is cursing you, we are told to speak well of our enemy. When your enemy is hating you, you and I are told to do good to those who hate us. When they're persecuting us, we are told to pray for them. And the whole objective is so that you can be perfect like your Father in heaven is perfect. And that's beyond our, our comprehension. But, beloved, God does have an objective. And never forget this. We must learn how to overcome evil with good for the higher good of the individual. In other words, we can retaliate and speak evil of them and put them down and say all kinds of things that would, you know, hurt them. But if you choose to do that and forget the love way, then you're not going to help work out their salvation. But if we choose to speak well of them in secret, then God is going to be able to move and touch their hearts and minds and change them from within. God Himself viewed us as enemies, but yet still spoke well of us. He turned aside from our wrongdoing and sin and still demonstrated and displayed His goodness on our behalf. Why? For our greater good, so that we then would come to Christ. It's the goodness of God that leads humanity to repentance, is it not? See? And they'll marvel at your good works and they'll glorify your Father in heaven It'll make a way for the Almighty One to touch their hearts and touch their minds, you see, by your good works of love. And that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to speak well of them. He wants us to pray for them. And He wants us to do good to them with the idea that we can bring them to Christ in so doing. Can you see that? It doesn't mean so they can walk all over us. See, once again, we know something they don't know. Right? And others will say, why are you treating them like that? Look what they've done to you. If I were you, I'd get a baseball bat and knock them in the head about ten times in love. No, that's not the way it works. We cannot have that kind of motivation. God wants us to be driven by another force. It's called divine love. And He wants us to love them and do good to them. Why? So that we can bring them into the kingdom of God. And let's never forget that. But to be a mature Christian, every one of us must make a decision to live for the right thing. To live the love life to bring others into the family of God. I want you to turn with me, if you would please, to Matthew 16. Now, here we are told in 1 Corinthians 13 that the person who is committed to this kind of divine love seeks not his own rights or ways. He is not self-seeking. He is not motivated by personal self-interest. In other words, he's not looking to get the best out of every deal. He is not just living to promote self. If self gets promoted along the way, that's a benefit. That's icing on the cake. And thank God for that. But that's not our motivation. We are living to please God. We are not living to please self. We are living to draw people into the kingdom by our love. We are not living to please self. If we all lived to please self, it would be an uglier world. Isn't that true? 
So we are living to please God and not self. Look at the verse. Remember, love, divine love does not seek its own rights or ways for it's not self-seeking. In Matthew 16, 24, Jesus said unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself. Let him take up his cross and follow me. Whosoever will save his life shall lose it. Whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he shall reward. He shall reward. See, sometimes we don't look at these scriptures like we should. Jesus is coming in the clouds of glory to reward us for the things that we have done for him. See, we want to be rewarded. That's human nature. Human nature wants to be rewarded for the good deeds that it does. Isn't that true? We all want to experience that sense of gratification and self-worth that I've achieved something and I've done something well. And so I'm applauded by, you know, my peers or whatever. Well, Jesus himself said, look, he is coming someday. How vivid is that to us in our minds? How real is that to us in life? Can we really see that one day Jesus is going to come again and when he comes, he's going to reward those who lived for him and served him? He's going to reward every man according to his works. I like that, don't you? If we were consciously aware of that, we would not be as much concerned about how we've been offended in this life. Because we are living by higher standards. We are living by higher principles and rules for life. We're not as much concerned about being hurt as we are about hurting God. We don't want to hurt Him. And so, you know what? If we call it maybe in this life eating a little dirt, I'll do it for Jesus. What about you? What did He do for me? On that cross, what did He do for me? I'll tell you what. He did not consider Himself. I know that. He loved His life not unto death. Isn't that true? Exactly. And that is what is to motivate the heart of the child of God who has made agape love His highest aim and greatest quest. I'm denying myself to take up my cross and to follow Jesus because, you know, it doesn't matter to me if I gain this whole world. If I lived to satisfy myself, if I live so I can have a name for myself, if I live so that my life can be known, you know, among the people of the world, what is it if I actually gain the whole world with a fence around it and yet lose my own soul? What does it profit me if that were to take place? Absolutely nothing. For I brought nothing into this world and it's a truth, I'll take nothing from this world. And when we all leave this realm of life, everything we have acquired and achieved in this life stays behind. You see, beloved, as Christians, we still possess a free will. And we can still choose to live for God. And we can still choose to make right choices. Or we can still choose to live for self and make wrong choices. 
God does not take away our free will agency when we accept Christ as our Savior and Lord. Now that we are Christians, we are still to continue on following the Master, living the love life, not seeking our own rights or ways for the higher good of those that are around us. Not seeking the pleased self and not seeking personal gain at the expense of others. We want to see to it that we live a life that is pleasing to God. So that even though making that decision may mean we don't gain the whole world, we've got richer rewards coming our way because of the decision that we made. Someone says, but if I devote more of my life to the things of God, I'm not going to make as much money. Well, you know what? You won't need as much money. Can you say amen? Amen. God has something better for you. Because there are certain thieves out there that can take your money just like that. And I'll tell you one thing is bad health. It's expensive. I want you to turn with me, if you would please, to Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7. And I want to once again drive home within our hearts and minds a law that every one of us needs to be mindful of in this day in which we live. In Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7, we begin reading, and here we have revealed to us a principle for life. It's called sowing and reaping. You're here this morning because you want to make good investments in the kingdom of God. You want to sow good seed and have good seed sown into your life, and that's why you're here. You're not here out of obligation and duty. You're here because you love God. You're here to learn You're here to devote your life to the kingdom of God. You're here to become a productive, fruit-bearing member or branch in the vine of Christ. You're here because you know the whole body has to be fitly joined together and compacted by that by which every joint supplied so that we can be built up into the house of God, everybody working together to provide a habitation for God in the Spirit. You're here because Christ needs you and you know that. Can you say amen? You're here because the Lord God Almighty needs you and you know that. And so you're not here to get just something for yourself. You're here first to give of yourself and then along the way you're going to get something from God for yourself. Can you say amen? Amen. You're here to give of your time, effort and energy to advance the kingdom of God here upon this earth. That is why you're here this morning. If we're only here out of duty and obligation, then we're missing the whole thing. And and it doesn't please God. We are here to sow good things into the kingdom of God and into our lives. In verse 7, be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of his flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Now let's tie this together. Verse 9, first of all, And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Sowing to the flesh is choosing to live the lower life. He said, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Don't live the lower life any longer. Once you've come to Christ, he said, don't live the lower life. There is a higher life to live. Living the lower life is the life of self-gratification. Living the lower life is pleasing self, even after becoming a Christian. I'm a Christian now, and I thank God I'm on my way to glory. 
but still I want to do with my life what I want to do. I want to live the way I want to live. I want to think the way I want to think. I want to act the way I want to act. I want to do what I want to do and be what I want to be. You see, beloved, that right there is the law of sowing and reaping. What a person sows, he reaps. If he sows a thought, he's going to reap an act. If he sows an act, he is going to reap a habit. If he sows a habit, he's going to reap a character. He sows the character, he reaps a destiny. Did you get all that? At least you're honest. <laughs> if he sows a thought, what's he going to reap? An act. Think about this so you can reap the act. You sow a thought, you reap an act. In other words, you think about it, and then you end up doing it. Then you sow the act. You, in other words, you keep doing it, which is sowing the act. You reap a habit. You keep doing it. Can you see that? How many of you understand that? Now you sow the habit, it becomes part of your character. It's the way you live. Oh, it's just him. Just the way he is. How many times have you said that about someone? And how many times have we recognized that about ourselves? You sow the character, you reap the destiny. God's not mocked. What a man soweth, that shall he also reap. And so you can see right here, we don't want to sow to the lower life. Because if you sow to the lower life, you will of the flesh reap what? Corruption. You see, beloved, sowing to the flesh is living for things of inferior importance. How many times have you gotten into an argument with someone over a petty issue that doesn't amount to a hill of beans? It was a green rug. I said it was blue. No, honey, I think it was green. It was blue. I know it was blue. I think it was green. And I mean, this thing goes on. You think it was another world war just about, to, you know, to take place because we want to be right. Petty things. Living for things of inferior importance gets us into a lot of trouble. Sowing to the flesh is an easy thing to do. It takes a strong person with a strong will to start sowing to the Spirit, which is living for things of superior importance. And it starts with thoughts. The thought to walk in love. See, the thought to live in love. The thought to love your enemy. How many of you would have ever thought this up? I'm just going to love my enemies today. How many of you came up with a wonderful thought today? You woke up in the morning. You know, it's a bright, sunshiny day. And you're just in a great old mood and all that. And you just told your wife, honey, I'm going to start loving my enemies just today. I just thought that up. Isn't that nice? How many of you did that? Right. Certainly you did. You didn't do that any more than I did that this morning. That thought came from the lips of Jesus. No, they thought an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That's how they thought. Right? And there is no other law. That's how they lived. 
But Jesus comes along, injects another thought. It's a thought given to us that we have got to sow. We've got to sow that thought into our lives. Why? So we can act. Sow to the Spirit. Reap the things of the Spirit. So you sow the thought, love my enemies, and then you begin to act. You sow the act, all of a sudden it becomes a habit. You are habitually loving your enemies because you're sowing to the Spirit, not to the flesh. Your flesh doesn't want to love your enemies. It becomes a habit. It becomes a character. It's a way of life for you. You reap the destiny of reward in the eyes of God for what you've done. We rather sow, to thing, sow the things that are of superior importance in our lives than those things that are of inferior. Why? So that we can reap the rewards of righteousness. Nothing is worthwhile what is not eternal, beloved. Nothing. It's not worthwhile if it doesn't enrich us spiritually, if it doesn't provide eternal rewards and leave a good heritage behind. If it doesn't do that, then we have got to reevaluate our position and find out what we're doing with our lives. You know, sometimes we just got to stop and say, wait a minute, hold on. Is this going to enrich my life spiritually? Is this endeavor going to add to my life spiritually? Being this way, acting this way, stepping out and doing certain things that we do, is this going to contribute to my life spiritually? Is it going to provide eternal rewards for me in my life? Is it going to leave a good heritage behind? If not, then we have to reevaluate what we're sowing in our lives. Can you see that? Because you see, love is not self-seeking. I'm not seeking my own good. I have got to realize that life is bigger than that. Much bigger than that. I want you to turn with me, if you would please, to Luke chapter 12. Living for love is living for God. It's not living for self. There are different attitudes that exist in life that have been developed in our lives because of our background. Because of where we came from. Because of how we grew up. And beloved, God, God, I say, if, you, if you can mean it and say it, God bless you, God. God bless God. I mean, for the patience He has in dealing with every single one of us. All of our lives. Just here in this congregation, that's a lot. But can you imagine over the world, God deals with every individual attitude that exists in every person in the world today. Boy, does He have patience or what? I'm glad He's God, aren't you? But He has got to deal with every single one of us the way we are, no matter what our background is. Do you realize He knows your background better than I do? Can I say it this way? He knows what makes you tick better than I do. And better than your neighbor does. He knows everything about you. He knows exactly where you came from. He knows your hurts. He knows your heartache. He knows your pain. He knows everything about your individual life. He knows the reason why you are the way you are and the reason why you do what you do and what I do. He knows all that. And so, you know what? He deals with us accordingly. I believe God's a good judge. What about you? I believe He's fair, just, and righteous. And He deals with us accordingly. He knows what He can expect out of all of us and at what level He can reach us. Thank God He's God. 
And He tries to share all these truths with us from His Word so that He can touch our hearts and deal with us where we're at and make adjustments and changes so that we can reap rich rewards when we get to glory. He's looking out for our best interest and good. In Luke 12, and beginning at verse 13, nothing is worthwhile that is not eternal. That doesn't enrich us spiritually and that doesn't provide eternal rewards and leave good things behind us, such as a good heritage. Nothing. Even though we may see it from this perspective as being good, I believe Jesus revealed certain truths to us so that we can better understand that those things aren't as good as we thought they were. Look at this beginning at verse 13. And one of the companies said unto him, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. And he said unto him, Men, who made me a judge or a divider over you? And he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. Boy, I'll tell you what. What a thought. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, He did what within himself? Thought. Where does it begin? A thought, an act, a habit. Can you see that? A character, a destiny. Listen as this unfolds. He thought within himself, what shall I do because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? And he said, this will I do. An act. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and I will bestow all my fruits... And all my goods, a character, laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. That's all I want out of life. But God said unto him, Thou fool. Whoa. This night... Thy soul shall be required of thee. Boy, that hurts. But he worked so hard. He worked so hard to get himself to a place where he can sit back for the next 20 years and enjoy the surplus. Right? Thou fool, he says, this night your soul's required of you. Then who shall all shall those things be which thou hast provided. So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. What is he saying here? Well, let's say a man lives to be 70 years old. Let's just give a hypothetical figure out there. Number. He is successful in a worldly way, but he lives his life for self-gratification, like this man is doing. He doesn't care if he hurts somebody along the way or not. doesn't matter. Maybe he does evil. Maybe he speaks words and says things, you know, that hurt other people, sowing seeds of unholiness, and wasn't a good influence to others. Because with this kind of an attitude, can you see, his children are going to have the same type of attitude and probably hand it down to their children after them that this is what life is really all about. Well, let's say it comes to pass that this man's soul is required like this man's soul is required of him and he dies. He has an elaborate funeral because he's wealthy. 
Everybody's impressed. But the man made no investments in things that are of any eternal value. He has nothing of eternal value to leave behind. He has no rich heritage in the things of God. He is ushered into eternity without making provisions even for his own soul, but works so hard to make provisions for his own flesh. He has sown to his flesh. He has sown to his flesh. He has nourished his flesh. His fleshly ideas, desires, and wants all the years of his life and had no time for spiritual investments. He was not rich toward God. He was rich toward self. The Bible says that man's a what? Jesus said that man's a fool. Turn to Matthew chapter 6 and let's look at something different here. This man did not choose to live for love. He chose to get rich any way he could, even if it meant walking on smaller people. He's not concerned about them because they have to fend for themselves anyhow. They're not his responsibility. In Matthew 6, of course, Jesus teaching his Sermon on the Mount teaches us that we are not to live for ourselves. We are to live for love. We are to live to please God and live to lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven where no one can break through and steal. Now listen carefully because it pertains to our lives. Some of us might think, what value is there in living this love life and not seeking my own way? Not seeking the things of self-gratification. What value is there? Listen carefully. Verse 19. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt. Do you, ever, do you ever notice that no matter how nice your car is, someday it's going to rust? Have you been there? How many of you are fed up with cars? I thought I'd get a big amen out of that. Cars. You can't live with them, can't live without them. Yet we live, and if you think about it, it's the world system. I mean, I'm not that old. I'm really not that old, honestly. But I can remember when your car never used to cost as much as your house. Can you remember that? I mean, you know, when I was just at that age where you're, you know, wanting to drive and all that stuff, I mean, you can buy a Volkswagen Beetle for $1,600. 17 somewhere around there. If you got an additional little something on maybe eighteen, you can buy a brand new, bigger sized car for three thousand dollars. If you spent, you know, fifteen to twenty thousand dollars, you were buying a house. Isn't that true? You weren't buying a car; you were buying a house. And if you were spending thirty to forty thousand dollars, you were buying a good house, right? Absolutely. Now, if you want to add a tape deck to your car, you're spending $25,000. <laughs> but what happens to those cars? You work so hard to try to get that. Now, see, this is the world system. By the time you get that thing paid off, it's time to buy another one. If you make it to getting it paid off. 
Think about it. It's just the world system. It's the way it works. And, you know, the world has become wiser. They make them purposely to wear out before their time. Isn't that true? Okay, you've got the picture then. But yet we work so hard and labor so hard for self-gratification. Which of you think you're going to take that car with you in the glory? You're not going to take your house with you in the glory. You're not going to take anything on this earth with you in the glory except for the spirits of your loved ones. Lay not up for yourself treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. Are we conscious of heavenly treasures? Someone can break into your house and steal your grandmother's necklace that she left you and you would be livid. It's irreplaceable. What am I going to do now? Well, we'll just, the insurance company will give you the money. Well, that doesn't replace the memory of the necklace that was my grandmother's that I cherished and loved so much. I understand the sentiment wholeheartedly. But do we recognize when thieves try to break into the realm of our lives and steal our heavenly rewards? The devil's trying to get you to say that bad thing about that person to steal your heavenly reward. He's trying to stop you from doing that good love deed to somebody because he wants to steal your heavenly reward. He wants you to get so upset and angry and lash out at certain people because he wants to steal your heavenly reward. He wants you to backbite and and talk down people because He wants to steal your heavenly reward. Do we get as livid? I said, do we get as livid? We should. We should. Once again, it's easier to be more conscious of fleshly things than it is of spiritual things. We should get livid in a righteous way. Say, now I am dedicated to storing up for myself treasures in heaven where no one steals, where there is no rust, where there is no corrosion. Let's use the same scenario. Here's another 70-year-old individual who departs this life to go and be with the Lord. By worldly standards, he has made no marked success as far as Possessions, But he fears God. He keeps his commandments. He lives in the realm of love. And to those around him, he's a fool because he lets people walk all over him. They laugh at him. They ridicule him. They mock him because of his faith and because of his beliefs. He will not, he will not steal that time from his employer. He will not take that. Changed from the store without going back and giving it because his heart won't allow him. He is more conscious of spiritual things than he is of natural things. He is evil spoken of because he lives honestly and righteously before God. And even though he has no material success to leave behind when he departs this realm of life, he is rich toward God. 
And he has a great deal to leave behind. A great deal. His life was enriched spiritually because of his decision to seek not his own ways or rights, but to seek God's love. And I want you to see an individual like that in the book of Hebrews, if you would please, chapter 11. I want you to see that it is better to please, to live to please God than it is to live to please self. This man has a great deal to leave behind. In Hebrews 11.5, we have a revelation of somebody who pleased God probably like no one that we can think, think of except maybe Jesus Christ Himself. In verse 5, Hebrews 11 says, By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Wow! Do you know what's in that one phrase, that one statement that says, He pleased God? All we know about this man's testimony is that his life totally pleased God. He did not live to please himself. He lived to please the living God. The individual who lives to please God leaves behind an example of holy, faithful, righteous living that pleases God. His Creator, the Almighty God. He leaves behind Him a heritage, a godly home, and a godly influence. That home is full of right spiritual influences. Because rather than to store up the treasures of this world, He has lived to store up the treasures of heaven within the hearts, the chambers of the, of the hearts of His family members, rather than to fill his storehouse with material goods. This man will leave behind children that are trained to become useful members of society, useful members in the kingdom of God. He has left behind a center of influences that will influence others for righteousness. God is well pleased. When that man gets on the other side to glory, that man is going to have treasures in heaven. And his legacy will live on. Because he chose love and not to seek his own rights or ways. He chose to live for God. Did he lose out in the end? No, he wasn't a fool. By the world's standards, we seem foolish. But God chose the foolish things to confound the wise. And you know what, beloved? I'm saying this to encourage every single one of us. You keep living the love life. And so will I. And when it seems or appears as though we're the fools, on the other side, you'll rejoice in glory. Because great will be your rewards, without a doubt. I want you to turn with me, if you would, please, to Matthew 25. Well, I'll tell you what. Let's, let's, let's go to Mark 14 instead. <clears throat> that man's name may be forgotten among men. 
But I guarantee you His unselfish living will achieve for Him a success that will lift His name in high honors to God. Did you hear that? When He leaves this realm of life, His name may be forgotten soon. But I'll tell you what, His decision to live the selfless life is going to achieve for Him success that lifts His name high in high honor before God and before His throne. In Mark 14, and beginning at verse 3, And being in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at meat, there came a woman having an alabaster box of ointment of spikenard, very precious, and she broke the box and poured it on his head. Here is a woman that had a treasure, something of extreme value as far as her life was concerned. This was indeed a selfless act. And you can see by the response of others, they felt as though she was the most foolish person to do such a thing. When you live the love life, when you love your enemies, and when together we don't seek our own ways and gratify the desires of the flesh, people around us will think we're mad. They'll belittle us. They'll mock us. They'll jeer and laugh. But beloved, does it really matter what they think about our convictions? Does it really matter how much they try to humiliate us and belittle our mentality because we speak with other tongues and believe that God heals our bodies and that people need to be born again to make heaven their home? Oh, they may think that they're fo- we're fools. And they may think that we're crazy. I'd rather be crazy to the world and remembered by Jesus than anything else. What about you? Listen to this. And there were some that had indignation within themselves and said, Why was this waste? Waste. There'll be those who will think it's a waste of time For you to live in love. The devil will try to tell us it's a waste of time to love your enemy. It's a waste of time to pray for those that abuse you. It's a waste of time to uphold those before God who seemingly are not walking right with Him. What value is there? What good is it? I want you to know there is not one act of obedience and love that is unnoticed in heaven. Not one act goes unattended and non-rewarded as far as heaven is concerned. I want to give you something that absolutely shake you and I believe set you free. You ready for this? Even though you may not get the result you're seeking. Let's say you're praying for for Mr. Doodad. Okay? And you have prayed the prayer of binding and loosing. You've bound the devil. You've loosed the ability of God. And that person that you've held up before God never makes a decision to come to Jesus. You know you'll be rewarded for your efforts. Did you hear that? You'll be rewarded for your efforts 
and for your selfless attitude. It may not come to pass in this life. Certain things may not come to pass. But because of your decision to live right before God, there will await a reward for you for what you did. Because you did the right thing. You treat Mr. Doodad with disrespect and you don't give a hoot about his life. There's no reward in that. If the person hurts you and you pray for him, there's a reward for you in glory. Are you listening? Are you getting a hold of what God is speaking to our hearts? People will think it's a waste. It's a waste of time. It's a waste of effort. It's a waste of energy. It's a waste of finances, of material goods. Why was this waste of the ointment made? For it might have been sold for more than 300 pence and have been given to the poor. And they murmured against her. And Jesus said, does it matter what they say? Does it matter what they think? Does it matter how they feel? Does it matter how they would do it? Are you here to please them? Or are you here to please God? Listen carefully. And Jesus said, let her alone. I want you to know that heaven is looking down on you. And when you're doing the right thing and the devil comes, I want you to know that God the Father Himself, Jesus at the Father's right hand is saying, let her alone. Let my servant alone. He will fight for you. He's on your side. Let him or her alone. They're doing what is right in my sight. Let her alone. Why trouble ye her? She hath wrought a good work on me. You're doing it for God. You're doing it for Jesus. You're walking in love. Because you want to please Him. It is a sacrifice, I know, but a well-spent effort and time. Listen carefully. You have the poor with you always, Jesus said, and whensoever you will, you may do them good, but me you have not always. She hath done what she could. She has come aforehand to anoint my body to the burying. Verily I say unto you, Now, beloved, I want you to recognize this statement that Jesus is about to make. Because I don't think we've looked at it from every angle like we should. How many of you know that that really Jesus is not into putting our name in lights? Isn't that true? He doesn't want us to be boastful of ourselves. He doesn't want us to walk around, you know, with an attitude that I did this. Isn't that true? But didn't he say somewhere in Matthew 6... Did he not say, if you pray to your Father which is in secret, I reward you openly? Didn't he? I really believe that Jesus made a statement here. Listen. Verily I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world. Jesus doesn't want us to draw attention to ourselves, does he? He doesn't want us to stand out in the crowd, does he? But I'll tell you what, if he draws attention to you, and if he sees to it that you stand out in the crowd, it's okay. He said, look, this also that she had done shall be spoken of for a memorial of her. Can you imagine that reward? 
This woman's name, this woman's life, this woman's act, this woman's deed is preached throughout the entire world. Everybody knows what she did because of her selfless act. She wasn't looking for that. But can you see what Jesus does? And can you imagine that day when we get on the other side in glory? Well, no. Hey, you're the woman that did, that anointed Jesus. You see, beloved, we've got to look beyond the now and look beyond self. And know that our selfless acts of love, if it includes loving our enemies, are recognized in glory and rewarded accordingly. Can you say amen? And that's what God wants us to know. She did what she could. We've got to do what we can. We can be a sincere Christian. We can live a faithful life. We can deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow Him. We can be God-fearing, lead a quiet, peaceable life, gentle toward mankind. We can walk in the realm of divine love. We can love our enemies as He wants us to. We can live by the rule that we owe no man anything or nothing but to love Him. And we don't owe it to man. We owe it to God to love humanity. And so we're choosing to love and live this life of love to give ourselves in love so that we can fulfill the love law and experience the rewards of eternity. And God will bless us even on this side. But more so on the other side. This woman did what she could. She was sincere. She was probably faithful and loving and self-denying. She was God-fearing. And she gave all that she possibly could. God wants us to do the same thing. And if He is asking us to give something that we don't have, then you know what, beloved? We can challenge His justice. But He's not asking us to give of anything that we don't have. You ready for what He wants? Give me all your undivided attention. He wants our thoughts. He wants our acts. He wants our habits. He wants our character. So He can provide our destiny. Can you say amen? Amen. Let's all stand before the Lord. Thank you for listening to our legacy teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry. I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life. But if you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Just pray this simple prayer right after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart now. I receive you and accept you as my personal Savior and Lord. If you prayed that prayer with me, you're a child of God right now, and I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.